Now I'd like to welcome the first guest to the This Is Believe One podcast. Usually we are hanging out at Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse during a Cleveland Monsters game. She writes for the Canon. This is Elaine Shercliffe. Hi, how's it going? It is going as good as it can be during this time of social distancing. <laughs> it's It's been fun. I'm actually getting like a full eight hours of sleep every night, which I don't think I've done since like the eighth grade. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm getting quite a bit of sleep. Uh, I'm taking intentional <laughs> naps now compared to the unintentional naps that I used to take. So, uh, without sports, there's not really all that much stuff to really dive into. So, I have a lot more free time than I used to. I thought there would be less sports news than there is. Like, I thought there would be zero news. And I just feel like every day there's more and more news across the sports world. <laughs> I've, I've noticed it kind of comes in waves. So you'll get like three, four, five things in like one day. Then you'll find nothing for five days. Yeah. Kind of like everything in the AHL coming out today. And I'm like, no, 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 stop. I, I don't have time for this. <laughs> I mean, like. I do, I, but I don't. I, right. I do. I mean, I still have to work. So I'm like. Like, I just want one job right now, okay? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I I have you on to discuss a couple of things. Um, you know, draft grades for the NFL, since that's everyone's favorite thing to talk about as soon as the draft happens. Who gets an A and who gets an F and all that fun stuff. Perceived draft value of players and something that everyone is talking about, that'd be the last dance. Oh, I'm so excited about that last one. <laughs> I'm very excited about that last one, too. And I'm saving it for last because I want the best for last, because I feel that's going to be the best conversation we have here. <laughs> Not that the first two aren't going to be good, but that one's just going to be a lot more fun. Yes. <laughs> so, so starting off with draft grades, you know, if you check out anything on you know, Twitter or people writing reviews of draft grades, everyone unanimously gave the Browns an A or an A plus or an A minus, some version of an A. And the the one thing I take away from this is that it seems like there's a lot of, I'll call it bias towards it, because a lot of the people making these draft grades come from a very specific angle, and that's analytics driven. And so anything that the analytics people do they're going to give it an A because that's what they want them to do. Yeah. <laughs> that, <laughs> no, I mean, I agree with you. I, I don't know. I'm not like a fan of draft grades like at all, just because unless you know everything about every player and every team and like every if you know what some kid did in a Division three school compared to a Division one school, then you know what? You can tell me all day long how great a team drafted. But if you only really know about, like, the Big Ten and the SEC and the Pac-12, you know, I, I really don't want to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's, that's a very fair point. I mean, the, the one, I guess, pet peeve I have with the whole draft grade process is that 
so many people think you just have to love everything somebody does. I'm like, you're allowed to criticize a pick. That's allowed to happen. Right. It, you cannot like, like a pick a team made. Right. Like you don't work for the team. So you can come out and say how you feel about like how you really feel if you don't like it. Now, if you work for the team, I totally get if you're like, yeah, totally a plus every year because yay, it's the team I work for and they put money in my bank account. Yeah, you kind of have to at that point. But I mean, from from someone from like your perspective or my perspective, I'm like, I don't like this player for X reason, or I would rather have this player. There are some picks the Browns made I really liked. There were some other ones where I was like, mm, probably wouldn't have gone a different direction. You know, getting yeah. a left tackle at 10, awesome. Taking the defensive right, then, tackle in round three, not so much. Right, and then wouldn't it like, doesn't it taint your credibility as a reporter if you think everything a team does is good, it does. Like, there, no, there's like no way that every team, like the Browns, anyone saying that the Browns are doing everything well, like I just, I can't because that's not true. <laughs> the, the, the funny, the funny thing about this is that something I don't remember who mentioned it, and I'm, I feel bad for not crediting the person, but. They said, you know, I gave the Browns an A for this draft, but the first time around with analytics, Sashi Brown, Corey Coleman draft, I also gave them an A, and look how that turned out. So, oh, God. <laughs> yeah. So oh, oh. I don't remember who said it, and I feel bad, and it's going to eat at me until I figure out who it is. But I think that was a valid point. I mean, you don't know anything about draft grades, and especially with a process like this, I mean, no one's really good, knows if it's going to work or not. Right. It's and it's tough, too, because, OK, like there are times when I'll say, I think that this was a good draft and people were like, what would you give it as a grade? And I'm like, I can't do that because <laughs> I just I don't. First of all, I don't want things coming back to bite me like you don't want to get yeah, takes exposed. Right. <laughs> I mean, Right. I mean, there's also OK, I think about. I know this is a different sport, but I think about some of the picks that the Blue Jackets have made in the beginning of their, um, just in the way beginning of their existence of the organization. And it was back when they didn't have good development. And so those players were projected to be incredible. And so it seemed like a really good draft for them, but they didn't know how to develop them. So they all ended up being duds. And I feel like that happens a lot to the Browns and the Cats. <laughs> Absolutely. Like, yeah, they have like these awesome picks that we get excited about and we get pumped about. Like like Baker, like we got really pumped about him, but they didn't use him 100% properly. <laughs> and... they, they still haven't. I mean, we... Right. We, we, we have an talk, idea. Yeah, we talked about it in like great length <laughs> at the end of the season. <laughs> I mean, we we have an idea of what he's good at and what he's bad at, and essentially what he's good at is throwing the ball less. So yes, <laughs> and so they have him do that more. Yeah, and that brings uh, an interesting. I'll, I'll side tangent this for a second, then we'll move on to the next thing. And that the side tangent would be. Um, they drafted a tight end in round four, Harrison Bryant, which some people said is Njoku on the hot seat. Is he not on the hot seat? 
people came out and said, oh, he's part of our plans. Then they re-signed Richard Higgins yesterday. Right. I'm like, okay, Higgins, he really does nothing for me. He's fine. He's average. At the end of the day, not special. So the way I'm looking at it is, I'm looking at Richard Higgins. He's a third receiver on a team that's going to run a lot of heavy tight end sets. At least that's what they said the day before. Now looking at the tight ends, they're going to play two tight ends, right? So you got Austin Hooper. You just made the highest paid tight end ever. You just drafted Harrison Bryant, and you got David Njoku, who they picked up the fifth-year option on. So either they're going to be trotting out three tight ends or three wide receivers, in my in the way I look at it. I mean, why not? And this is crazy, I know. Why not use both, like three tight ends and three wide receivers? Just keep cycling them out. <laughs> if you cycle them because... out, yeah, it's fine, yeah. Yeah, because it hasn't worked for the Browns in a long time to really just have that one guy because either they get tired or they get injured because of games like playing against Pittsburgh and the Ravens where they get a little aggressive. Mm -hmm. And so why not just cycle out some of the more important pieces while you're trying to build up your offensive and defensive lines? Why not just keep cycling them. I don't know. It could work. I, I mean, why not try it? Cause they didn't try it yet. So we don't know if it'll work or not. And that's a, a very fair point. I mean, but the only thing I'm looking at it from, uh, Njoku's point of view is that Njoku was here. They went out and signed a high, t- high price tight end. They drafted another one. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was working for a company or if I was, it's not necessarily the best thing, but if they went out and got someone who's really good at what I also do and they brought in another young guy to, you know, groom and grow, I would not feel all that comfortable in my job security because right. they just brought in two of your replacements <laughs> or my replacements yeah. in this scenario. So this is the way also, I see it. But they also like, they've been using him pretty like the way he needs to be used. And I don't feel like he's really stepped up as much to the challenge as he could have, but also he's not awful. So it's not like, yeah, I'm not quite sure what they're doing with that, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah. It's, it's worth the the gamble, I guess, but it just seems like from a roster building standpoint, it seems like they're just, I, I know there's a plan, but from not being, uh, involved in that plan, it doesn't necessarily seem like everything they're saying kind of contradicts one another. So you don't right. know if you're going to run out all these heavy tight end sets while you bring in, you know, Richard Higgins, or why would you bring in Richard Higgins and keep Njoku? It's just, it doesn't seem like the they are, I guess, meshing roster building philosophies, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Sorry. It's, it's fine. <laughs> I, was, I was letting that marinate a little bit. <laughs> now, the the next thing I wanted to talk about, and that is draft value. And everyone gets obsessed with value in the draft because someone will slide a little bit or, you know, maybe someone has a, a red flag or maybe they're just a little bit short. And someone drafts, and the immediate response is, ooh, I like that pick for this team. That's good value for this team. 
and there's a specific player in mind here for the Browns, and that's Donovan Peoples-Jones. Donovan Peoples-Jones was selected in round six. I saw some projections in round four, possibly even round three for this player, but he lasted till round six. And once the Browns turned the pick in, it was, ooh, I like this pick. Ooh, that's great value. And I'm thinking, there's a reason 31 other teams passed on him throughout leading up to this pick. Am I wrong here? I think part of it, too, is um, I think sometimes, oh, my God, I'm going to defend Michigan, and I don't like this. Um, (laughs) I think sometimes Michigan players are underappreciated in the draft because in recent history because OSU has just manhandled them. And so many people are like, OSU is the best team in the world and they could beat every single NFL team, which is a whole other topic. But <laughs> <laughs> I think that some of these players, um, that's why they dr- drop like they get projected um to go a little bit higher but then once the draft rolls around and people are like talking more about who they're gonna take and what they're gonna do and teams are trying to undercut each other and take that pick or they're like oh I didn't think about that person I feel like you probably hear a lot of like oh well this guy didn't play well against OSU or this guy had this many like passes intercepted against OSU. And I feel like maybe that hurts some of these Michigan guys a little bit. Um, Cause I was shocked to see him drop. I thought he would have gone earlier. I, yeah. I thought he would have gone a lot earlier. Um, but you know, you could say it's a steal or like, it's shocking that he dropped that far. But if you have a draft that has a lot of good players in it, you know, you're going to end up further down than you thought you should have been because different teams need different things. And um, I, every time we didn't take him during the draft, the Browns didn't take him. I was like, well, maybe the bears will take him and neither of them would take him. (laughs) I only the sixth round hit. And I was like, thank God. Like I was getting nervous for this kid and for the fact that I, I think he would fit in well with the Browns, but um, I think that does say something about what uh, like Odell Beckham Jr. and Jarvis Landry, like I feel like he's going to end up overtaking both of them. So, there's something I want to touch on that you mentioned specifically, and it's the player struggle against Ohio State players. You know, specifically players from Michigan, but you know, players from other schools do too. And while that is a valid point, because the development at Ohio State is far superior than that at Michigan. This isn't being, you know, ooh, I'm an Ohio State fan. It's this is just a fact because the part the problem with Peoples Jones is that he's underdeveloped. He didn't develop fully, and he's not the first right. or last player from Michigan where that will be the case. It's the fact that he struggled against those players, and those players are the exact same quality of players you're going to be seeing in the NFL. The the, the level of competition is not going to get easier when you get to the NFL. It's going to get more difficult. And if he's struggling right. against NFL caliber players, you know, guys that go in round one or, you know, round three, 
it's only going to get more harder or you know more difficult. And I just right. I'm not sure if if he can't, I guess, show out one time against anyone of quality, then that seems like a, a big issue. I mean, he didn't have a 100-yard receiving game in college. You would think once he would burn, like, some, you know, scrub Big Ten team for, like, 150 yards and three touchdowns, but that didn't happen. Right. There's two things I think about with that is, one, um, it's so funny because it ties in with the last dance, is, (laughs) you know, they would talk about how Michael Jordan didn't just want to, like, win the game. He wanted to beat you, Mm -hmm. okay? OSU instills that into their players from day one. It's not even about other teams. It's like beating Michigan. That's it. Beating Michigan. And I don't think Michigan instills that into OSU quite the same way. So when guys show up to that game and they're like, yeah, it's the rivalry game. Oh, yeah. Like, this is going to be fun. We're going to beat them. It's going to be close or whatever. Then you have OSUs that's like, we're literally going to kill you. (laughs) (laughs) So there's a different mindset that comes into that game, I think. Um, But whenever anyone's put any sort of time into coaching people, he does better and better. So if they put more time into developing him and actually try to develop him into what they want, he seems like he's a sponge because – You watch the games and they pull them off to the side and they go over the play that they need to do. Like they really go over it with him. He does it and he executes it well. So I feel like if people took the time to develop, because I feel like that is something that Michigan fails at in football is they just, they don't take that time to really develop and hone in on the things that make each player um unique like the way osu does so hopefully the browns do that along with analytics this year and i do know that analytics helps with that though because they can pinpoint really where that player is good at so i don't know i I think that i think it'll help um i think they should definitely in my opinion start them off as their return man because they don't have one <laughs> so, yeah, that's true. <laughs> start him off as their as their return man. Let him, I guess, develop as a receiver. See if he can improve upon his weaknesses as a wide receiver. Most notably, failure to gain separation from the defender. Defenders are always seem to be like glued onto him. See if he can work on his footwork to get some separation. If he can do that, then maybe he can take that next step forward. But a lot of the projections I've seen for him are backup or special teams player. And if that's fine. Sometimes you just need one of those guys. The Patriots had one forever in Matthew Slater. If if Donovan Peoples-Jones could be the Browns' Matthew Slater, then that's a win, in my opinion. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's the thing, because um, I feel like in the drafts uh, across the board, in every sport, they look for like quarterbacks, and um, receivers and tight ends, you know, but they're not looking for those players who, who help along the way, you know, 
people aren't out there drafting like the really good long snapper or like <laughs> you know like in the end some of those like sometimes those are the things that kill a team you know they're not looking for those little pieces that mm-hmm. could be helpful and i think it's because a lot of schools um like they'll have quarterbacks they'll have so many quarterbacks come out for their school and they'll keep them and then they'll have them play a different position and not do as well in that position. And then that kid gets drafted and like, well, not as well as they could have been. Then that kid could get drafted in something else and they find out later he's a quarterback. <laughs> like, <laughs> these are just weird things that happen on the teams. I've seen it in, um, in hockey where they're like, well, there was no room for me as a goaltender, so I became a defender. And I'm like, but you're a bad defender. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Cool. I don't know. And that's where I think scouting, you know who has good scouts and who doesn't because they know all those things. Mm -hmm. And I guess we really don't know what, how good the Brown scouting group is now. A lot of people are giving them a lot of praise and all that. Now, we really don't know what, how good they are at their job until three, four years from now. So we'll find out in a few years. Which, going back to draft grades, pointless because we don't know what they are. Right. And I don't even actually know who the scouts are for the Browns. I, I don't know off the top of my head. <laughs> yeah. Like, I could tell you, like, every team in the NHL and the AHL... And in baseball, like off the top of my head. But honestly, I don't know why. I don't know. Is it like a thing that they don't talk about in football? I feel like I don't hear much about the scouts in football. It, even depends, though it depends on the clearly. group. Okay. Cer- certain teams have their own in-house scouts. Some use scouting services. Oh, why so, would you use a scouting service? Well, the Browns aren't a team that aren't using a scouting service, and that hasn't done them any good for 20 years, so maybe they should have been. <laughs> <laughs> but you, you see a lot of the, the teams that use them, or don't, the other teams that don't use them, and they're some of the more successful franchises. Uh, maybe they're trying to follow them in that in that path, but I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the Browns. I don't. What bothers me about the Browns is I could be like, that's a bad pick. And then that guy will do really, really well. And I'm like, you know what? This is dumb. (laughs) You can do the same thing. Like, that's a really good pick. And then you're just like, oh, you're just a homer. I'm like, no, I actually like the pick. Or I didn't like the pick. Oh, you just don't like, you don't like what school they went to. Like, the the People's Jones thing. I'm sure that's going to be a nonstop uh, uh, point of contention. Uh, because he went to Michigan. I'm like, I don't care where you went to school. You you play I mean, on the NFL team I like? That's what I care about. I think that it has to be tough, though, right? Like, you come from, say someone comes from just, like, generations of OSU family, and they've just been, like, bred to hate Michigan, and then their favorite football team is a bunch of Michigan players on it, and they're like, what, what? What am I supposed to do now? <laughs> it's about separating, and that's what I do. I mean, I, when when the Browns had Braylon Edwards, I cheered for Braylon Edwards. When they had Jabril Peppers, I cheered for Jabril Peppers. Okay, oh, I mean, I miss Pepper. It's fine. You know what I mean? It's just, I, I don't care. They're playing. They're not. I'm not worried about where they 
played schools and played at football on Saturdays, it's where they're playing on Sundays. And Sundays, it's for the Cleveland Browns. So it just always makes me laugh that it's like an Ohio team. I don't know how many like Ohio State players end up playing for the Detroit Lions. Well, the third overall <laughs> pick was Jeffrey Akuda from the Ohio State University. <laughs> I mean, there's always a handful of guys that end up there, and it's it's always funny because I have I have friends who live in Michigan, and it's always funny to watch them have to do that little have to have to, have to wrestle in their own head. Same thing when they when they have uh, guys from Notre Dame because Michigan has that vendetta with Notre Dame, so it's it's like twofold. So when I mean that's when, when Golden Tate was on the Lions, it was hilarious. All, I had a whole bunch of friends that hated him when he was at Notre Dame. Then when he played for the Lions, it's, yeah, Golden Tate. See, that's because I feel like maybe Michigan people might be slightly more rational than Ohio State people. (laughs) I just think it's funny, though, because you just, if you could follow, like, someone's, you know, real, if someone's real life was like a Twitter feed and you went back to when Golden Tate was at Notre Dame, they were calling him names that were not good. Uh, (laughs) Right. It rhymes with faint, but starts with a T. Then... Well... (laughs) (laughs) Then, he's the greatest thing ever when he's on the Lions. Okay, so it's it's, it's kind of funny to watch that play out in real time. Yeah, that is funny. I have a hard time when, like, my favorite players go to the Yankees... I, I can't root for them then. But I don't know. Have any Yankees come to the Indians that I hate? No, I don't think so. Nick Swisher? Um, I did not like him, so that worked out well. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I like Nick Swisher, and I'm probably like one of five people that did, so. Yeah. Sorry hey. that you like him. <laughs> I, I feel he was good for the team in the moment, kind of okay. taking them out from where they were and transforming them into the Terry Francona era. And plus, he was a switcher and a hitter, and I love switch hitters. So, oh yeah, 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 I could see that. Switch hitters are great. I like them. They're my favorite. And when I when I play the baseball video game, if I can, I put out as many switch hitters in a row as I can. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> just to get it. just to get that advantage. There's no pitching advantage because I got a switch hitter. Um, now moving on to our final topic here, and this is <clears throat> something I've I've wanted to talk about, and it's the Last Dance. Yeah, now, I'm I'm sure you've been watching it. Of course, I've been watching it. What are uh, some takeaways you have so far? Okay, well, first of all, I mean, I grew up right outside Chicago in a town called Lyons, which is like not far away from Chicago, like the actual line. Like Mm -hmm. it's not far from Midway Airport. So like to me, this is the greatest thing ever because we moved here in August of 91. So, you know, a big part of my childhood was spent living in the suburbs of Chicago, like watching this happen And now to hear all the inside, like, background stuff, it just, like, it drives me insane in a good way because it's, like, taking all my childhood memories and enhancing them. My only disappointment, though, is, so I love Johnny Red Kerr. 
Um, he is their old like announcer play by play guy for the Bulls. And my mom um, worked at a bank and he banked there. And so I used to call him like Grandpa Johnny. <laughs> <laughs> and he was so wonderful. And I was really hoping they would like have something from any time that he was there, like any scene with like his picture or like him announcing a call or anything like that. So I, that's the only thing that's been disappointing to me, but that's because of like, just from a personal side of it for me was like, Oh, maybe I get to see him one more time, but <laughs> Nope. <laughs> but Oh my God. Dennis Radman is my favorite. Always has been my number one favorite NBA player in the history of all NBA players. I love Dennis Rodman <laughs> so much. I am such a huge huge fan of his. I always have been, always will be. And a, a, a story on this I have for you is back when I played basketball, I always got stuck on the team with the coach's kid who thought he was awesome. He would come to practice with an Allen Iverson jersey because he thought he was Allen Iverson. Or he wanted to be Tracy McGrady because he had the Tracy McGrady shoes. So, unfortunately for me, I didn't get the ball that much because I played with ball hawks. So it was the coach's kid and his friends. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm like, oh, the hell with this. I'm going to do something. I'll play defense like Dennis Rodman. And I modeled my game after Dennis Rodman, and people hated me. But you know what? <laughs> I came down with almost every rebound. I blocked so many shots. And I would play games. And the person I was guarding would not score for the time that I was in the game. So, mission accomplished. <laughs> yes. Dude, I like... I had a Dennis Rodman jersey. And I wore it so much it fell apart. Like, I would wear it going swimming. I would wear it going hiking. I would wear it when I was playing softball, like at practice, not actually in the game. Cause you can't do that. Yeah. <laughs> which, which color? Oh, it was the red. Um, it was like the, the red and black one with like the black outline. Okay. So the red Jersey black numbers. Yeah. It was the least expensive one. I had the black one. <laughs> I had the black Jersey. Oh, that's like the dream. <laughs> I had the black Jersey. Um, I also I had a white Michael Jordan jersey. I have a white I have a, I have a white one now as an adult. But I did not know that you loved Dennis Rodman as much as I do. Oh, I love Dennis Rodman <laughs> because he was just now I know he, why we're friends. <laughs> <laughs> because he was not afraid to be himself, and that's something they definitely touched on in this in the last episode that they just had yes. in episodes three and four oh, is that. Dennis Rodman went to go beat Dennis Rodman, and they just let him beat Dennis Rodman. And I think that was one right. of the better things that came out of that. That's how you know that Phil Jackson was a good coach. Because, I mean, there's a lots of reasons to know, but when it comes to players and developing them and putting them in the right positions, is he was the king of it because he knew how each player ticked. He knew that, like, yeah, Michael Jordan needed a vacation too, but he'd be fine without a vacation. Dennis Rodman needed a vacation. And if he didn't have one, he was going to explode from like into like a million pieces. His hair was going to turn like 5,000 shades of red before his head exploded. <laughs> like, yeah, so they just let him go to Vegas. <laughs> right. Oh, oh, my God. Finding out that 
Phil Jackson did acid and then thought he was a lion? <laughs> First of all, the picture they used for that was so perfect. Him and, like, the cab. Yeah, <laughs> I want that on a shirt. <laughs> I, just want a, I just want a framed picture of that to put in my office. Because that would oh, just be goodness. so fun to look at every day. Just crazy-looking Phil Jackson. And I just can't believe that, you know... What a leader Michael Jordan is that he recognizes that his teammate is someone that they need. And he went to Vegas to go get him. (laughs) He went to Vegas to get him, to retrieve him and bring him back because he recognized that they weren't good. They're good without him, but he brought that extra level to the game. Mm -hmm. And I mean, how many captains would do that? There aren't many. I mean, Rick Nash definitely had to, like, you know, retrieve Jeff Carter from a hotel room after (laughs) Jeff Carter got traded to the Jackets. But, like, I don't know many people that would, like, go to Vegas and not be worried about partying and just focused on finding your teammate. (laughs) So, uh, I don't know if you saw this, but Bleacher Report posted a picture the other day. Because everyone was, you know, on the big Dennis Rodman hype train, right? And so it's a picture of five NBA players grabbing for a rebound. And it says Rodman, Kevin Garnett, Charles Barkley, Draymond Green, or Big Ben. Who comes down with the rebound? (laughs) It's not who comes down with it. It's who still has it in their hands. (laughs) Like, I feel like maybe Rodman wouldn't come down with it, but that ball would end up in his hands. So I just, instinctively, I said Rodman first, right? Because it, it's Dennis right. Rodman. He, he would, if he wanted to, he could just go get 40 rebounds in a single game. Because that's yeah. just unheard of. After that, I had Ben Wallace as number two. Because if there's anyone that could rebound as good as, even close to in the conversation of Rodman, to me, it's Ben Wallace. Um, yeah, I could, I could see that. I could, I could kind of see that. Then I went Charles Barkley third. The round mound of rebound. Charles Barkley. <laughs> then I had Kevin Garnett fourth. People were so mad that Draymond was on that. I. <laughs> are, are you ready for the kicker for me? Yes. After that, it's Rodman again because he was so good. He gets two before Draymond gets one. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. I just love that he would t- like he talked about the science and the trajectory and like all of that involves into getting a rebound. And I'm like, did he really just say something about like degrees of angles in which he could jump to get, to get a rebound? Like, yeah. Do Dennis Rodman breaking like down. That Dennis Rodman <laughs> breaking down all of that was not expected at all. <laughs> no, it was, I always thought that he just played with like this unbridled passion you know, kind of like a Mustang that you shouldn't saddle. <laughs> <laughs> but it turns out, nope, I studied everyone's jump shots and how they all spin and where I need to be. Right. And like who, I don't know. Are there players today that really do that? I, I don't know. This is the first time I've ever heard of it. Yeah. Like, I mean, I know in hockey that there are people, cause they talk about it. Like I studied this guy all the time. I study these goalies, you know, film is such a big part of hockey and they talk about it so much, but I don't hear, and you see that also with um, like, you know, Trevor Bauer and pitching and, and baseball, 
but I don't hear about it as much in sports like football and basketball. I don't hear as much of the film aspect where players are sitting down and just watching what the opponent that they're going to have to face, not the whole team, but like that one specific person that they know they're going to be put up against and like break it down the way that he did. Yeah. I mean, that's just so in depth. I mean, really Trevor Bauer is the only person I, I'm, you can even compare that level of knowledge to at least that's been put out to the general public. I'm sure people have done things similar. I don't know to the extent of Dennis Rodman, but something, but the game now is so different to the game then that it's all threes and layups now. I mean, everyone was taking yeah. mid-range shots and, you know, there were all these other types of stuff that's not even existent in the game anymore, so you had to prepare for that. Now it's just, it's long right. rebounds or short rebounds. You know what I mean? I know, and it's stupid. I hate it. I, I, <laughs> I just can't stand it either. When, when they talked about the triangle offense, oh my God, I almost cried because I love the triangle offense in the same way that I love the neutral zone trap in hockey mm-hmm. because you have to trust your teammates and that they're going to do a good job. And it really highlights who has trust and who has skill and who has both. And you're able to like, it's all about the, the fundies, the fundamentals, mm-hmm. you know? And so that makes a team better in the long run. And when you can execute it properly and everyone trusts each other, you know you have a great team. You saw it with the Bulls when they started executing it. And then you saw it with the New Jersey Devils when they won their first and second cup when they used the trap then. Like, it was like watching, oh, I love those kind of plays. I'm sorry. So I'm I'm glad you brought that up because there was a little sequence there which I found fairly entertaining. And it was the sequence where it was – Jordan, pass the ball to John Paxson and let him shoot. Right? <laughs> yes. Okay. And now, I know everyone likes to do the LeBron-Jordan thing, and I can't stand it, honestly. But what is the one thing LeBron always gets credit or, you know, bashed for? It's passing the ball to his teammates. What was that entire sequence? It was Jordan giving the ball to John Paxson, of all people. Okay? Yeah. <laughs> and the difference there, I, thought, I think it's funny that... While Jordan gets praised for that, LeBron gets bashed for it. And I think it's I think that's just kind of like a double standard that's not fair. Now, Jordan's the far superior player. I'm not even going to LeBron's good. Jordan's just different. There's a different hunger inside of them, too. But I just think it's funny that he was giving the ball to John Paxson like that. But if LeBron were to do the same thing like he has, he gets killed for it. Because Jordan had the killer instinct. But ever forgets when he passed the John Paxson. Right. Because he had to. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) Right. Well, and LeBron will never... Listen, we live in an age where if you're good at something, people will spend their whole entire time trying to tear you down. Mm -hmm. So, like, Skip Bayless. I was so... Right. I was so mad. And I never comment on things that Skip Bayless say. But this time I was just so mad. He was like tearing LeBron down because LeBron had said that he knows what it feels like to like that first championship and like what it's like to get over that hump and finally get it. 
And I was so mad that he was tearing him down about that because the amount of pressure you have to have to have a winning season in Cleveland is far greater than like going to a championship in Chicago because I feel like Cleveland fans and the media and everyone, they, they just put all this pressure on the players and then the players put it on themselves. Mm-hmm. And so the closer you get to that championship, it's like crushing. And you've heard players say it before that like, it's the t- one of the toughest things about playing and most rewarding about playing in Cleveland is just that pressure that is put on you to succeed because these fans do pour their whole hearts and souls into you, even when you have a losing season. And so like, yeah, he, that's a huge hump for Cleveland, like massive for the whole, like even like in the state of Ohio, like it's just Mm -hmm. a massive hump that he got to go over. And I could see how it's comparable to Jordan winning that first one. Yes. And for Skip Bayless to tear it down, I just wanted to be like, I had so many bad words I wanted to say to him, but I was really, I didn't say them. And I was proud. (laughs) And a lot of that is every single time a Cleveland team gets even remotely close towards that elusive title, they play the montage. And you know exactly what I mean by the montage. Yes. So it's the fumble, it's Red Ride 88, it's the drive, it's the team moving, it's losing the World Series twice in the 90s, it's uh, the first series against the Warriors, it's the World Series against the Cubs. And I saved this last one, last, (laughs) on purpose, and that's the shot. Okay? Oh. The shot over Craig Elo. My dad, that was the first time I ever saw him cry because he's from here. Mm-hmm. So he, that was the first time I ever remember seeing my dad cry <laughs> was when the shot happened. And he still like the moment they started talking about it on the show, on the documentary, I was like, I'm so sorry, dad. And like every five seconds, I'm like, I'm sorry, dad, we can turn it off. And he's like, no, no, it's fine. But you could like see him get misty eyed. And I felt so bad. I mean, it's just, it's, it's very, it's, it's difficult to watch, but I mean, I've seen that, I've seen the shot so many times that, you know, as a, as a Cleveland fan, it's just, I'm, I'm, I'm numb to it now almost. You know what I mean? It, just because yeah. every time a, a team gets into the playoffs or close, it's, like I said, the montage. Now, the reason I saved the shot last, because like I mentioned to you before, I have a side story about the shot. Okay. So as you know, Jordan hits the shot over Craig Elo. Then he does, you know, he jumps in the air and does the arm pumps and just apparently just telling everybody to go home who apparently doubted him in so (laughs) many words. Um, But so here's my side story. So as you know, I grew up in Michigan and we would attend you know, sporting events there, so Pistons games, when they still had a WNBA team, a Detroit Shot game. And this happened at a Detroit Shot game. We were there, and it was during the summer, and they had a, a court out in the parking lot. And so it was me and my sister, we were just shooting before the game, and someone who works with the Shock came up to my parents, and like, are those your two kids? Are you a family of four? And like, yeah, like, okay, we have this thing at um, in between a quarter or halftime, I don't remember, I think it might have been halftime, where we're going to have you compete against another family on the court, and shoot shots from the free throw line and if you win 
uh, you get like this bag of stuff, right? It was okay. sponsored by uh, Buick. The Buick Regal, which was apparently the official car of the WNBA at the time. Now, and so we go down and we are absolutely destroying this team. They're not the team, the other other family. We just keep making shot after shot after shot. They struggled to make like two or three. We made like 15. We're just making all these shots from these different spots on across the free throw line, right? So as soon as, you know, the buzzer hits or whatever, I, being a huge Michael Jordan Cavs or uh, Bulls fan, as soon as that final buzzer goes, I see we win, I do the Michael Jordan fist bump on the court at a Detroit shot game. <laughs> <laughs> You are an awful human being. (laughs) (laughs) So I jump up, I do the fist pump, I'm just, you know, I'm so excited. And it was just, it was one of the funniest moments of, you know, me being a child. I just like, it's hilarious that, you know, it's just something meaningless at a a WNBA, you know, halftime game. But it was just like, to me, that was the world and I was going to do my Michael Jordan impression. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Dude, just, just imagine like being a kid moving from right outside Chicago to Cleveland in 1991. <laughs> two years, not, but yeah, two years after that happened. Mm-hmm. And the first day of school you are wearing a chicago bulls shirt you must have got glares <laughs> i made like zero friends <laughs> <laughs> and like i didn't even think about it like i just put on my shirt and went to school <laughs> and like even my teacher was like that was an interesting choice <laughs> i'm like oh crap <laughs> jeez did you double down the next day with a broncos jersey <laughs> <laughs> oh god no my dad my dad would never my parents would have never let me leave the house with that there's no excuses for why i would own one of those <laughs> oh my god i'm not satan okay <laughs> i'm sure a lot of people thought i was though yeah, I'm sure you didn't make a lot of friends, at least not at first. <laughs> no, I really didn't either. <laughs> I, I did not. <laughs> it's my own fault. I should have done research or something. Well, I mean, you had two parents that could have told you not to wear the shirt. Well, also, to be fair, I moved here, like, the day before school started. So I was kind of blindsided. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're just, I mean, you're a kid. You're just wearing a shirt to wear a shirt. You're from Chicago. You you like the Bulls. You're in a Bulls shirt. So, I mean, it's not really <clears throat> not I, your I, fault. It's not like you made some conscious decision to be like, I'm going to show all of those Cavs fans. I love Michael <laughs> Jordan. It's, I'm putting on my Bulls shirt today. I do specifically remember that I lined up like five shirts that I could have worn. Um, one was like a flannel, but it was too warm. <laughs> uh, the other one was a cub shirt. The other one was a white sock shirt. Don't ask, please don't ask. <laughs> and then the other one was an Indian shirt. And I still picked <laughs> that bulls shirt. 
Because I was like, I'm so proud of these boys. I want to wear that shirt. I love Chicago. Like, not even thinking when all of these other valid, better choices. (laughs) So in order of shirts then, that would have been least offensive to most offensive. (laughs) It would have been Indians, Cubs, White Sox, then Bulls. (laughs) Now, least offensive to most offensive, it would be Indians, Bulls, White Sox, and Cubs. Right? Maybe you flip yep. Bulls and White Sox? I don't know. I mean, that's that's the toss-up, but Cubs is definitely the one at the end of the list. I'm just on the wrong end of history with my friends here in Ohio. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I grew up in Michigan, you know, being a fan of Ohio teams. So every year, every year Ohio State and Michigan would play, and I was the, the lone kid wearing Ohio State stuff. Yeah, dude, my mom, okay, when we lived in Chicago, my mom loved the Detroit Red Wings. I mean, she still does. But imagine being there and, like, at that time, the Wings and the Hawks didn't get along at all. And then we Mm. move here, and freaking Ben Roethlisberger gets drafted by the Steelers, and she's from a town called Dunkirk, which is near Finley. So she was all excited, and she bought – she bought a freaking Steelers jersey and I don't (laughs) I just don't understand what happens in this house (laughs) (laughs) sounds like the house is kind of all over the board it is it's awful (laughs) (laughs) it's the worst (laughs) I mean, growing up in the Detroit area during the 90s, Red Wings were everywhere. Okay. And so you could not escape it. People had the flags on their cars. Everyone had a Red Wings shirt. If it wasn't a shirt, it was a sweater. And everywhere you went, it was Red Wings this, Red Wings that. So being someone who came from Ohio at the time that didn't have a hockey team... My parents didn't really care about hockey. So we came there. I'm just like, wow, all these Red Wings fans are annoying. <laughs> because it wasn't a sport that we paid attention to, really. Right. B- because there was no team. I mean, there was the Cleveland Barons, but that didn't last long. But besides that, was, there was nothing. And so there was no real hockey in my household outside of people there that happened to like hockey so it wasn't really a a grown you know or you know just something that you at birth or instilled with this hockey fandom it was just like geez this is just overdoing it with the red wing stuff <laughs> that's i mean that's just how people are with hockey okay <laughs> oh there's a there's a difference when the red wings started to turn to crap before i moved to ohio it toned down significantly it was just during that '90s heyday that it was just yeah. it was it was overboard, and I, I'm sure you've seen it with. It's not. I wouldn't say it's on Bulls level in Chicago, but it's I'd say comparable. Or to, or to actually, city obsession with a successful franchise. It is very comparable to Ohio State in Columbus. Is very it's very comparable. 
<laughs> like people in Columbus are like, oh, look, my shoes, they have Ohio State on them. And I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's Ohio State and the Blue Jackets there. I mean, at least in like Detroit, there's three other teams. Or they're That's supposed true. to be, you know, one of the they're other They're supposed teams. to be. <laughs> <laughs> they're, none of them are good. I mean, I still have friends in Michigan, so I still see updates of, of teams there. It's just like, I feel your pain. <laughs> yeah. It's, Lions fan. It's bad. Tigers fan. Wait, okay, so wait. How did you get into hockey? Like, when did you get into hockey? Because you write with me. So, yeah. like, obviously you know about hockey. <laughs> it wasn't until fairly recently and was essentially because I was able to move away from Michigan and get away from the very obsessive Red Wings fans because I... I didn't. I had a very strong dislike for the sport because of the people that were there, because they were so overbearing. They were so into it, and I get it. That was the only successful franchise there, except for uh, you know the Pistons for a minute. Uh, but, Dennis Rodman Pistons. <laughs> I have a Dennis Rodman Pistons jersey. That's much I love Dennis Rodman. Okay, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but. The fans there, just they turned me off to it. So it wasn't until I left Michigan and I'm like, okay, maybe that I'm not surrounded by Red Wings fans. I'm not surrounded by this. I can appreciate the sport. And once I did that, I was like, okay, this is actually fun. This is entertaining. But when when you're just, when it's something that you're not necessarily, I guess, into as a child, then everyone else is around it and you're not really into it. It, it gets kind of overbearing and annoying, but once you leave that and give it another chance, which I did, you can appreciate it. Yeah, I could see that because, you know, hockey from the NHL level is 82 games a season and it spans from like October to June, mm-hmm. um, kind of September, really, with mm-hmm. a training camp to June. And... People talk about it all the time, all the time, all the time. Like sometimes I get tired of hearing about it and it's my job to hear about it. (laughs) (laughs) So I could totally see how if you weren't really into it or you didn't know much about it and all you hear is people talk about it, talk about it, but in like a fan way, not a um, explain the game to me kind of way. I could see how that would be super annoying because that's such a long period of time to hear about one team or one sport without 100% knowing like what's going on like there really can't be casual hockey fans because of how long the season is Mm -hmm. and how the season could change like on a dime so you're either in it or you're not (laughs) that's that's a very accurate statement and you know it was just if, if the Red Wings weren't so dominant during the time, it probably would have been different. But yeah. they were such a dominant team for from, you know, the mid-90s to the early to the late 2000s that it was just, it was nonstop Red Wings all the time. Right. And, and so, I mean, I went to, you know, know, as I got older, I went to, you know, you know, go to a Buffalo Wild Wings or, you know, be like, oh, it was a baseball game. It was a basketball game. It was a football game. Nope, it's hockey. And I'm like... <laughs> I didn't come here for the damn hockey game. I came here to watch this. That, that's, you know, what I was thinking. You know, that's, that's, that, that's what 18-year-old Jim was thinking. That's what, you know, later 21-year-old Jim was thinking. It, it was, I wasn't, I wasn't coming there for this. It was, I was coming there to watch something else. And I would have to check ahead of time to see if there was a hockey game on. 
Yeah, that would be. And there always is a hockey game on. <laughs> <laughs> always. <laughs> because if, if the Red Wings were on, that was the sound that was going to dominate the bar that you were in. Right. You're going to hear the Red Wings game, and your alternative is the Red Wings game. <laughs> I, I wish the season was shorter. <laughs> it's so long. It's so crazy. There, there are some times where it's like, okay, it's it's a little long, but there are other times where they, they don't play a game for like five days. I'm like, you couldn't have shortened this up? Oh, especially in the AHL. It's really tough in the AHL with scheduling. And so sometimes there'll be no games for like seven days. And then I'm like, what do I do now? Watch other teams? Oh, none of the other teams are playing either. What do I do now? Well, if they're in cities that have to share their arena with an NBA team, I mean, that's that poses one problem, problem right there. Or if they share the arena where they're supposed to be playing with another sport it's going to they're going to be the second person or the second i guess on the on the call list for uh dates to get there so that presents a scheduling issue and if for some reason some superstar act comes through guess who gets bumped down to third on the pecking order it's not going to be taylor swift it's going to be the ahl team right or the ahl team has to play earlier games on a double header because they're <laughs> trying to bring people into the basketball game because the basketball team isn't doing so well this year. I'm not naming teams, but we can guess who that is. <laughs> God, the, those couple of those double headers we were at, it just, when the game was close towards the end of the third period, you see this look of panic on the people that work there. Cause they're like, this game better not go into overtime. This better not go into overtime. <laughs> Well, that's because this year they made the games 8 p.m. for the NBA. Mm-hmm. But last year, last year and the year before, 7 p.m. games after a 1 p.m. start for the Monsters. That's such a tight I, time frame. It is. And I can't tell you how many of them went. <clears throat> Either there were a lot of fights and a lot of goals, so that made the game longer, or it went into overtime And there was one time where it went to a shootout. (laughs) And oh my gosh, the whole entire, like, the whole entire staff was, like, wigging out. They were like, what are we going to do? How are we going to take all this stuff down? How are we going to get, like, (laughs) like the floor down? People were waiting in the wings with the floor because the moment that game ended, the players had to, like, salute the fans, get off the ice, and then... They before fans were even out, they were already out there, like taking down the stanchions and um, taking off the goalie posts and all of that. Oh my gosh, it was so insane! It was one of my favorite moments ever. <laughs> I imagine that at some point, when sports returns, when hockey returns, when the monsters return, we'll see something similar to that. Yeah. Which, the the faster sports returns, the better. Because I'm losing track of days. I am absolutely losing track of days. I thought it was Thursday and Friday at separate times today. And it is definitely (laughs) Wednesday. Um, (laughs) So that just shows you where I'm at. 
thankfully I have a Monday through Friday job. So I definitely know what days are Saturday and Sunday and obviously Friday. (laughs) (laughs) Other than that, it's very up in the air. I have to look at the calendar a lot. And I'm like, is this what people do who don't do things outside of work? Like, because I've always had like two jobs, you know, there's always the writing and there's always the job to supplement my writing. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, is this what normal people feel like? Do normal people lose track of days or is that just me? <laughs> <laughs> so I think that this is a good place to, to wrap up this, uh, this podcast here, at least this conversation. Yes. We're we're over an hour in now. Right. We've covered so much. <laughs> and you know what? This is just kind of making up for all the time we lost for not hanging out at, you know, Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse or Romo Fiho or the morgue, as you called it. <laughs> um, what can I say? That's the best nickname for it ever. The morgue. It was an accident. I was just trying to be funny. I didn't think people would actually call it that. You tagged Reflog. <laughs> I mean, because I thought it was funny, but I didn't think he would think it was funny. <laughs> <laughs> oh. The worst thing ever is when people think I'm funny because it's usually for something super inappropriate. I mean, that, that just knows it. That just is when you know you're doing things right. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, oh, I'm, sh- I'm sure I will have you on again and probably relatively soon. Maybe. Yes. Oh, discuss Last Dance episodes five and six. We can do that next week. Yes, I am so here for that. <laughs> yes, we will set that up and we will definitely be back to talk about the Last Dance episodes five and six. So I'll like to thank you for joining me and I look forward to talking to you next week. Yeah, thanks for having me on. <laughs>